0: Uh, if you're new, my name is Marlo, and I'm one of the pastors here at Eaglemont Church, and if today is your first time with us, this is the last in a three-series, a three-message uh, series called, Why You Need a Church. If you missed the previous messages, uh, September 10th, and then last Sunday's uh, excellent message that Pastor Joel shared uh, in this series, you can go to Eaglemont church YouTube channel and catch up and I really encourage you to do so church Uh, and and those exploring as well of course Uh, but I just these messages in my heart and mind and from my perspective are just so crucial always have been good solid important New Testament teaching but more than ever these messages are are appropriate and needed so I, I ask you to invest the time If you missed or want to re-listen to those, those messages. In this series, we've pointed out that in the New Testament, the church is not an organization. It's not a building. It's not a denomination. It's a body of people. That's what the church is, New Testament terms. And so when I use that term, church, in this message, like the New Testament, that's what we mean. People who have surrendered, a group of people, individuals who have surrendered their life to Jesus Christ to be a follower of His, collectively, the church. And, and we need to remember that the whole, uh, the whole of, the, uh, of the setting of the New Testament, the whole, the whole setting of New Testament Christianity is in the context of the church, In in the New Testament, we never, ever see a Christ follower who is flourishing in their walk and relationship with Christ, who is also disconnected from a local expression of God's worldwide church. Why you need a church. Uh, Three more biblical reasons in this message today. So God, open our hearts to the truth of your word, and may we be in a posture of receiving what you want to say to us. Not what Marlo wants to say, but Spirit of God, what you want to say from your word to us in Jesus' name. Three reasons. First of all, you need a church because the church is God's way of delivering his message of hope and grace to a broken world, and our world is. Desperately needs those things, doesn't it? Hope and grace that Christ offers. The Great Commission is not first and foremost an individual activity. Even though I, I think myself included, been guilty of, of of dishing it up or explaining it that way most of the time as we've taught about it. I've kind of come, I always knew this, but just kind of re, uh, was, was, was uh, re rooted in my mind that the Great Commission, the words of Jesus from Matthew 28, where he said to his disciples as a group, he said, Go make disciples, go share the gospel, go into every nation, talk and show, talk about and show forth my good news message, right? And he said that, again, to his disciples collectively as a group to be carried out in community with one another. And if you claim to be uh, a serious-minded Christ follower, then active engagement in God's hope-giving mission will matter to you to the point where you will recognize that you can't carry it out effectively in isolation. In his book, Uh, Unstoppable Force, Pastor Erwin McManus writes, the purpose of the church cannot be to survive or even to thrive, but to serve. And then he says it's through this commitment to serve that we are forced to engage our culture. And engage our culture we must. Jesus wants us to. And engaging our culture is so vital as Christ followers with this hope. Uh, hope-giving message. So very vital. More than ever, I think. Just uh, just look around. But again, we cannot do that effectively on our own. McManus goes on to make an additional observation that the church has sometimes turned its mission, given by Jesus, to be outward-bound, to be about itself, the church, to be about itself. And I quote McManus again, he says, our motto degenerated from, we are the church here to serve a lost and broken world, to what does the church have to offer me? Sadly, that's a pretty accurate description or assessment of too many North American Christians today. He, he says, that this move has made the pastor the only minister and has made the members the only recipients of ministry. What is lost, he says, what is lost in this process is an army of healers touching the planet. And Eaglemont Church, we cannot let that be the case for us. I mean, look at the church down through History. It has consistently been known for, for loving and caring response. Name any world disaster, and the Church of Jesus is there to bring uh, relief and, and, and help. Goes back to the book of Acts. That shows the the, the selfless way that the Church of Jesus always lived out its faith and and thus gained a platform to share, verbally explain, and and, and, uh, make a call to embrace, for people to embrace the good news message of Jesus, the gospel. That's That's the meaning of that word, gospel. Good news, and it is good news. Brian Stewart, former CBC News correspondent, spoke a convocation speech at Knox College in Toronto many years ago. And he titled it this, Christians are on the the front lines everywhere first. That was the title of his talk. In that speech, he pointed out that from his global perspective, he said it's a myth that that church just follows along to do its modest best. Stewart confessed that in his early years he accepted this, this popular notion that the church uh, was, was uh, largely irrelevant. But he was struck by the powerful fact that whenever he was uh, dispatched to uh, report on a war or a famine or any calamity, every time he would witness that Christians were already there generously. And lovingly assisting those in need. Even before he and his television crew arrived. Interesting observation. Love it. This, Brian's observation in this of, uh, of the church at work in the world. Eventually led him to, uh, to personal faith in Christ. You see it takes an army of many Christ followers to serve like that. And the impact uh, swells as every Christian takes their active place in the local church with a commitment to serve, as Jesus has called us to, unselfishly together in our world with other Christ followers. That's God's plan. That's God's desire for each and every one of us, to maximize the influence for Christ in our world. And you need a church. You need a church to experience that and the church is needed to make that happen by God's design. Secondly, you need a church to experience the power and the beauty of biblical unity. Some of you know what I'm talking about because you've been in churches where unity has been a gift from God and a commitment by the, local, by the believers in that local church. It's what it, it takes that many times, doesn't it? Others of you, sadly, have, have walked through church experiences that are devastating to you, maybe, hurtful, disturbing, un- not Christ-like, and, and, and grieving to God's heart. And that's a sad reality in a broken world, and that, but that should not be the case. You need a church to experience the power and the beauty of biblical unity, and again, if you claim to be a Christ follower, you will want your life to honor God. You, you just will. doesn't mean you'll hit the bullseye on that target every time. I don't. But you, you will. You will. You, you'll care about that. You'll want your life to honor God. And a heart for unity in the body honors God. Psalm 133. It is good and pleasant when... what. When God's people live together in unity, that verse says. And then verse three is awesome. For there where? there, where? There. Where where? there's unity. There, that verse says, there the Lord bestows his blessing. I believe this church has seen the blessing of God because of this. Not that we're, not that we've been perfect like no church, but but by and large, the, the unity that God has blessed our church with, and that so many of you have been committed to is phenomenal. I mean, that's exciting language. It's there that the Lord bestows His blessing. So, three things really quickly. Unity honors God, first, because it reflects His nature. I mean, there's no greater example, is there, of unity than God Himself. One God, three persons. We're not going to Describe that today, but God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, living in a perfect relationship from eternity past as God of unity, unbroken, unbroken unity. And when we act in love and unity, we act, we act in line with the most um, uh, foundational and, and uh, profound characteristic of the nature of God. And we need a connection to a local church to have the privilege of experiencing that and of obeying God in that kind of living in community. Secondly, honor—we uh, honor God. Unity honors God because when Christ followers commit to unity among themselves, and and you've heard me say this before, if you've been around Eaglemont for a while. They become the answer to Jesus' prayer in John 17 for unity. Now what, awesome, what an awesome thought that I can be, you can be an answer, a part of the answer to the prayer of Jesus that he prayed. And, and once again, if, if you're claiming to be a genuine Christ follower, you will care about this. You'll pursue this, actually but you need to be a part of a local expression of God's worldwide church in order for that to be the case. Now, Jesus never said living in unity with other believers would be easy. Some of you know that. That's why he, that's why he took time to pray. There's a fair number of, of, of verses of, that, that, that where John relayed the prayer of Jesus about this. He knew he needed the prayer support to live in unity with one another because it's not always easy. Thirdly, unity honors God because it captures the world's attention and points people to Him. God cares about that. And genuine Christ followers care about that for those that don't yet know God and His love. John 17 again, Jesus' prayer for unity. In verses 21 and 23 particularly, Jesus stresses uh, that, that he wants, he's praying for his, his disciples to be one. As he says, as you and I are one, Father. <laughs> wow. He wants us to be one. Why? So that the world will know. It says there, so that the world, it says it more than once in that chapter. John 17, read it sometime today. It, so that the world, the world, he, he means uh, people who don't yet know God personally. So that the world will know that you sent me, Father that's big. That's important. That's worth, that's worth striving, Christian friend, that's worth striving always toward unity. Doesn't mean we're going to agree on everything. That's not what unity is. Some robotic, yeah, we all are this thing. No, 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 no. Unity expresses itself or is is most powerful in diversity. Now, not talking about biblical issues that are clearly sin issues. Well, I just have a different opinion on that. No, well, we're not in unity on that, okay? So don't don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I think you know what I'm saying here. Christ followers interacting with supernaturally charged love and care for one another captures the attention of people who haven't yet experienced that love. Jesus said it clearly, referenced last week, John 13. By this, all will know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. Christian love. Christian love, two words put together. Some people think, well, that's an oxymoron. <laughs> like, I don't know, jumbo shrimp. Or here's one. Genuine imitation. Huh? Well, Christian love is not in that category. Those two words go together, or at least they should. God intends them to, for sure. They must go together. Philip Yancey writes about a conversation he had with a pastor from India years ago, who who said this, most of what happens in Christian churches, even including miracles, can be, and he's talking about in in his home country of India, uh, most of what happens in Christian churches, even including miracles, can be duplicated in Hindu and Muslim groups. But in my area, only Christians, only Christians, he says, strive to mix men and women of different castes, races, and social groups. That's the real miracle. Said this Indian pastor. Interesting. For us, unity is cultivated most often in situations where we have the opportunity to lay aside our preferences in, in deference to others in the body. And, and when we individually, when we each commit to do that without grumbling, uh, it builds our character, it grows our. Character toward Christ-likeness, of course, and it strengthens the unity that Jesus prayed for in the family, in his family, in this family. Jesus prayed for Eaglemont about this. He had Eaglemont on his mind, I have no doubt, as he did every other Bible-believing church when he prayed that prayer. Laying aside our preferences, interesting conversation, isn't it? We're, we're not all going to like the lights. We're not all going to like the, 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 the sound level. We're not all going to like the, the coffee. Oh, ouch, that's a, that's a touchy one for me. Whatever it is, right? But what are you going to do with that? Make it a, make it a point of division uh, by, by, by stirring up others to side with you in whatever the issue may be? Not that some of these things shouldn't be discussed at times. Again, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But remember that Jesus has already prayed for us. That we'd act in a spirit of unity in whatever those issues and differences are. My Christian friends, I encourage you to lean into the opportunities you have to defer to others it's actually, a, it's a discipline. And I'm not saying I always like it. And everything that happens around here isn't my doing, nor should it be. We're a family. Yes, I have a role of influence, and I need to steward that wisely and, and, and carefully and in a Christ-like way. And that can be heavy sometimes. But whatever the issues are, And there are discussions. And there are some weighty discussions. And there are things that we make weighty that really aren't in the body of Christ, right? Uh, That's all part of family life. And that's okay. But in through all of those things and discussions and decisions, let's always, can we, church? Let's always keep Jesus' heart for unity. The forefront of our minds and in our hearts. Let's do that. Let's do that. Let's commit to that moving forward. Now, there's a whole other level of this literally, literally the supernatural power of unity that I've never experienced. When we think of various world situations that have happened, power of Jesus' prayer in John 17 was brought home to me so profoundly. When I led a missions team to Rwanda in 2004, 10 years before that, 1994, some of you are old enough to remember watching the news of that terrible 100-day genocide that happened in that country where members of the the, uh, Hutu ethnic majority murdered at least 800,000, maybe more people, mostly of the Tutsi minority. Our team from Millwood's church visited a memorial at a Catholic church site where dozens were slaughtered. And the awful reminder was still there from that terrible time. But, but, while we were there in Rwanda, we saw evidence, powerful evidence of of, of the power of Jesus that brought genuine unity out of the, the worst of circumstances. One author that I read wrote about what we had also experienced those years later, He wrote, Tutsi and Hutu neighbors now worship together because of the power of Christ and the powerful biblical realities of forgiveness and unity. Unity like that simply cannot be experienced in any other setting like is possible when Jesus brings believers together and they, and they all respond like he calls us to respond. Here's the thing. As as Christ followers. How in the world do we obey the command of Jesus to love one another. Or to live in unity with one another. If we're not in relationship with one another. Or, Or if we've said I don't need you. Or I don't need the church. I recognize that for. The most part, I'm preaching to the choir here. But if you're a Christ follower who's in any way been minimizing the role of the body of Christ in your life, or... or disconnecting or, or have disconnected and you just, you just happen to be here today for you don't even know why maybe I don't know or, or you're engaging online you've got this desire to explore and, and, and know God's love but boy you've been hurt by the church or whatever it is and you just, you just don't, don't have any desire to connect with, with, with a church can I, can I ask you just to, just to ask God to open your heart to his perspective on this in your life I'm preaching to the choir, but again, if you're a Christ follower who's been minimizing the role of the body of Christ in your life or, or, or disconnecting from it, then again, I'm, I'm just praying that this, this New Testament teaching will take root and, and settle in your heart and, 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 and change how you live out your relationship with Jesus in relationship with other believers. Because if you somehow think that you're an exception or you're the exception to the expectation of Jesus for his followers to be connected in the local church, I, I, I have to tell you, you're mistaken. You're completely mistaken. As I mentioned in my um, September 10th message, why, why would God put 59, according to, I think it's Gene Gates, one, one Christian author, 59 one another's before us in the New Testament if he didn't expect us to live in close relationship with one another? Yes, 59. And, and again, many of you have heard me say this even before September 10th, but it's just, it's just, ah. It's, it's a strong evidence for me, the wording of the New Testament speaking to the, 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 the group of believers in every city there in the New Testament. And we're included in that. Pray for one another. There it is, one another, 59 of them. Serve one another, love one another, forgive one another, care for one another, be devoted to one another, and on and on it goes. Highlight them in, as you read the New Testament. My Christian friend, those directives. Don't sound like Jesus would want you to downplay the role of the body of Christ in your life. And and Jesus would would not have prayed for unity among among his followers if if he didn't expect us to live in close community with one another. Thirdly, you need a church for the spiritual protection that a healthy body provides. It's the old adage, there's safety in numbers. And some of you know that from when you roamed around town years ago in your pack of 20 junior high friends. Maybe for some of you that was last night, I'm not sure. I I, I doubt it, but. Or or maybe that was just the the, the whole safety safety in numbers. Here, as an example, take a piece of paper. I got to do this to get the one piece. I'm not passing it to you, so. One piece of paper. It can be destroyed or hurt, torn apart pretty easily. One piece of paper can. Doesn't stand up well to, to my attack. But when that individual paper, papers are part of a group, the outcome is different the outcome is different can't be destroyed those individual papers cannot be destroyed cannot be torn up when they remain part of the bundle but but separated from the stack did I, did i mention simple illustration of what we're talking about biblically. That the context of the body of Christ, that the bundle, if you will, provides the needed strength and protection to the individual members of the body that we all need admit it or not. The attacks we all face individually are are, are weakened or even nullified when we're solidly connected to Christ followers in a healthy church. There's protection there, and it's biblical. Two types. First, protection in failure. And this is significant because no Christ follower is immune to failure. All of us know that by experience. We all do. God speaks to Christ followers through the Apostle Paul in Galatians 6.1. And, and again, this verse was referenced last week, but Paul said there, if someone is caught in a sin, restore that person gently. That's a directive to you if you're a Christ follower. If someone, if you're aware, if someone is, is uh, Paul words it this way, if someone is caught in a sin, uh, tangled up, uh, restore that person gently. It's not always been done. And that's a directive from God for the conduct of care in His body. Uh, I'm not sure, again, I'm not sure we've done this very well. Or maybe better worded, I'm not sure we've done this very often. Why is that? Could it be because it's, it's because we're nervous about how the person will react Maybe or, or we may think, well, I can't challenge someone about their uh, failure or their sin in their life, because then I 'll be judging them. well, no, not necessarily. not if you, you do it with a, a, a loving, caring heart, a, a humble, a humble attitude then then you 'll not be judging, you'll actually be obeying God's word to you as a Christian. This short verse is all about watching out for one another and, and, and protecting one another spiritually which is what God intends for us to do in His family. You know what is a really great thing? That failure is not Final. Some of you are, are sitting under such shame right now. There's a difference between guilt that is lovingly comes to our heart when we fail, when we sin. It's the Spirit of God lovingly, gently. There's, there's, there's genuine guilt, but then there's shame. And shame is a weapon of Satan to keep you down. To make you feel like, I can't go to God again for forgiveness. He won't listen to me. I failed too many times or Whatever. That's shame. That's the enemy of your soul. Don't let him win in that battle, my friend. You're not alone in your failure. I, I guarantee you are not alone. No matter what, no matter what the struggle or the failure is, I promise you, you are not alone. Again, don't let the enemy of your soul convince you otherwise. In a healthy church, there are spiritually mature people who are grace-filled in their character who upon hearing of a failure of a fellow Christ follower in their family many times will reach out and begin a a, a journey of of life-giving relationship with that person. But it's only as you choose to place yourself in the context of the church that this is even possible. That does happen. And, and way to go church for that. I've witnessed it many times. It's inspiring. And I'm not claiming that this is everyone's experience every time in this church either. Because I also know of situations where it hasn't been the case. And, and that saddens me. There's, there's growth for us in this area. So, church, let's strive for Galatians 6.1, the the Galatians 6.1 bullseye on the target of care, of watching out for one another, okay? Secondly, there's protection toward biblical alignment. Those who are not connected in a Bible-based church are susceptible to teaching that is under the Christian banner but is off base biblically, and there's, there's much out there in, in that category, and we don't have time to cite examples, but yeah, sadly, there's much opportunity these days for people to be led astray by false teaching, and it's, it's always been the case. You've heard, again, if you've been around Eagle Mount for any length of time, you've heard me say this. The Apostle Paul gave many warnings in the New Testament to Christ followers to watch out for false teachers and false prophets. And being a a part of a healthy uh, and biblically rooted church will help keep you from sliding into these theological ditches, these practical Christian living ditches that are off base. As you hear all kinds of things with the, the way information is so available. These days you need discernment, but you need a personal knowledge of God's Word. It's the plumb line right here. Solidly Bible-based church will help keep you from, from going theologically or spiritually loopy. <laughs> As we began this Why You Need a Church series back on September 10th, you, you may recall that I referred to a sermon series on the same topic that our years ago our lead pastor, Gary Tanger, who is now our district superintendent, uh, preached when I was on the pastoral team at, at that church many years ago. And in that message, he shared an illustration from a wildlife documentary, and I remember uh, seeing uh, what I'm quite certain was the same documentary at that time. I enjoy that, uh, the, the, those types of National Geographic shows, and... And uh, I've used this same illustration as he did um, a couple of times before, at least, over, over the years. And, and, and the picture you'll see on the screen in a moment is from talented photographer Steve Gettle. I emailed him, and he kindly gave me permission to use this great picture. Well, the wildlife documentary that I saw showed what happens when wolves attack buffalo. They approach from behind because face-to-face, the big animal, the buffalo, has the advantage, right? But if the wolves can sneak up behind and get them running, the wolves suddenly have the advantage. Because then, what happens? The the weaker or the younger buffalo start to fall behind and, of course, become a very easy target for the wolves. But contrast that to how the muskox, what they do. When they're attacked, they get into a circle with butts inward and their sharp horns facing out, big circle, with the young, maybe the, the, the weaker oxen in the middle, protected by that circle of horns that could easily prove deadly for a, a wolf that is, you know, launched in the air by a powerful head toss. They're stronger and safer together than, than if if they each kind of make a break for it. It's great. Well, that's, that's similar to us as Christ followers. It should be. Being, being scattered and on our own, not a good option. Not a good option. There's, there's protection through others watching out for you, and that's the reality in a healthy church. When we feel weak, There are others who are caring and mature in their faith who who, who step in to support, to help, to care, to pray, to inspire, to sharpen. I've been the recipient of that type of spiritual care in local churches that I've been a part of and in this church. What a blessing. Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I don't need that. That kind of thing is like a, like a circle of protection when our spiritual enemy, Satan, would want nothing more than for us to bolt and be out on our own against his attack. Don't go there. Don't go there in your Christian walk. And so, this morning, what's our takeaway, our response? It's a simple reflection question. What's your attitude about the local church these days? I want, you to, uh, I want you to park on that question. Simple question. But I want you to park on it. Uh, seriously and honestly. Now and, and in the coming week or, or, or weeks. Well, what's, your, what's your attitude? About the local church. And for many of you. You'll, that will be. This local church. Because that's your your family or the group that could become your family if you're kind of backed away or, or, or not sure you're exploring. If you claim to be a Christ follower, do you value the role of God's church in your life so much that you're seeking to deepen your connection to it? Some of you are categorically, you can say categorically yes to that. And I see beautiful evidence of that in many of your lives it's fantastic and, and, and inspiring. Or have you allowed Satan? Well, that's pretty strong. Well, he's behind thinking that is not biblical. He's, he's, he's real. He's not this little guy in a pitchfork and a red suit. No, he used to be a beautiful angel in heaven, but thought he should take over in heaven, and so Isaiah 14 tells us, so I got the boot. So he is against, he is opposed to any good thing that God has offered. It's not surprising he will try to cause believers to wander from the flock. Not surprising. Don't let him. Don't let him lead you that way. Maybe he has. Maybe he has warped your perspective of the local church. Maybe that happened during COVID and you haven't quite recovered. Or you began to think that connection with the local church eh, really isn't that important. If you've slid that direction in your thinking, I, I, I need to remind you that that's wrong thinking. That's not biblical thinking. And if you are a genuine Christ follower, you will care about biblical thinking. And what Jesus expects of his followers. If that's you, I implore you to turn your heart back to the Lord and back to His church that He loves so much. Everything in this holy book, from the time Jesus took His first breath after His resurrection to the end, the last chapter of the last book of the Bible, are words either to the church, for the church, or about the church. And 92 of the 114, 115 times the word ecclesia is used, the word for church in the original language, 92 out of 114 or fifteen times, it's a direct reference to a local church. The local church matters to the head of the church, Jesus Christ. And it must matter to us. Friends, some of you are are new in your commitment to follow Christ, and that's so cool. Or, or maybe, again, maybe you're seeking answers about what it means to be a Christ follower. Let, let me just say that this church is not perfect. I'm not perfect. But I know that this church is a safe place to explore and, and to ask your questions. That's why Joel, Pastor Joel, works so hard and the leaders are so committed to, 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 to make Alpha available on Wednesday nights, and I think somebody can still come if they haven't been yet. Wednesday night, 6 o'clock. Students here, adults downstairs. It's a safe place to ask your questions. Oh, no church, is, no church is perfect because it's made up of imperfect people like us, right? But God has designed His church as a place where His grace and truth can be experienced. And that design or plan involves the in-community life. So, reflection question, what's your attitude about the church these days? Let the Spirit of God inform that thinking of yours. Let the Word of God, the New Testament, inform your thinking and your action relative to His body. pray with me. Thank you God for your word and for the truth so clear regarding your church. Help each one of us to view your church as you want us to. Help us to value the body of Christ like you do. Help us to love the body of Christ and other believers Even the ones that frustrate us. (laughs) Help us to love one another in the body like you love us and gave yourself for us. May we pray toward your good purpose, your good purpose being fulfilled through this church that we're a part of. May, May we serve toward making this local church, a solid and loving reflection of the character of God and the, the love of God for people. May we, may we give financially to help this church be all it can be and do all it can do to reach people who don't yet know your grace and your love. Yet. Yet. Hmm. Heads bowed and eyes closed. I'm wondering if there's somebody in this place. And if you're engaging online, there's a place there. You can uh, go to eaglemont.info and just let us know you committed your life to Christ. In this moment, if there's somebody in this place that just says, I want to give my life to Christ, I never have, or I, I did many years ago, but I want to recommit my life to Jesus Christ today. Uh, can I ask you just to, just to raise your hand and look my direction? I'm not going to call you out or embarrass you. I want to just pray for you today as you express, not so much to me, but to God, that this is your desire to know God personally. You've heard the gospel today. We've celebrated the gospel today through communion. He loves you. He died for you. He stepped into your place to take upon himself your punishment for sin and mine. And our response is that of surrender to him, as the, asking him to be the forgiver of our sin and the leader of our life. Is there anybody that would want to make that step today. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father, for sending your Son, and thank you, Jesus, for coming for us. I pray that everyone in this place would walk passionately after you. Help us to live in the context of the body of Christ as you want us to, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.